Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. I've uh, been interested in history for for some time, and uh, particularly um, the role of um, uh, Christi- Christianity in history, um, and the the faith of um, uh, important historical figures. And one thing that I appear to be noticing at the at the moment is that. When I, uh, we sort of uh, go onto the computer, onto the internet, and you Google um, the, the name of historical figures and articles come up, um, you know, often on Wikipedia and so forth, it's a common place to find information. Find a lot of the aspects of a person, of uh, famous people's lives that were Christians. Um, is omitted or diluted down, or it might just, for example, um, say that um, they were of a particular religion. So, for example, I was uh, doing some reading recently on um, uh, Frederick Woolworths, and uh, I think it was uh, Frederick, um, uh, and uh, there were two brothers that founded the large... um, shopping uh, chain in the United States. At one stage, the Woolworths building over there was the the tallest building in the United States. And um, they were very strong Methodists, and I know they they paid tithe, and and, uh, their faith in in God and um, tithe paying, uh, in some of the literature that I'd read, you know, sort of 50 years ago, was one of the aspects that they uh, attributed to their um, success in business so it was that God blessed them. Whereas if you look up and, and read about them now, there's just a, a brief mention that they were Methodists. And it's interesting that this sort of information is, is, is being lost. Um, another example would be um, the example of Clint Walker, the film star that used to star in Cheyenne, uh, again, if you look up about him, it, it mentions very little about his Christian faith. And yet uh, later in life, he suffered a very severe ski accident where the ski sock went right through his chest uh, and right through his heart. And um, he was a very strong man, of course, very big man. He was able to break the ski stock off and it was with friends who... Um, got, carried him to where they could get an ambulance and, and then get him to hospital. And he prayed to God that if God saved him out of that, he would witness um, uh, for the rest of his life and you know give talks about the, the miracle of God saving him. And it's interesting, you know, less than a week later, he walked out of hospital. And um, even though the stock had gone right through his heart, and yet when you read up the modern accounts, they, those, that sort of information is missing. The other thing that's of a, a concern, as a growing concern, of course, everybody is um, looking towards uh, utilising artificial intelligence. And there's a number of different programs that are now you know, freely offered on the different um, computer support systems now that's being in use. But uh, one of the interesting things that is evolving from this is that the artificial intelligence is using consensus information. 
And the big worrying thing is that we're arriving at truth on the basis of um, the most popular information. So whatever the largest number of people believe will uh, be picked up by artificial intelligence and then sort of reported. And I think I can see, I believe, this, what will happen is there's a gradual move away in, in many areas um, where whatever the popular belief is, even though it might just be a belief and not actually based on evidence and truth and what is actually happening, uh, that these will actually become uh, accepted a- as truth, just the uh, because that's what most people believe. And one of the real areas uh, of, of this is the difference between you know faith and, and science. And what we have is a huge amount of evidence that science supports faith. Science is supporting the account of the Bible. Science is supporting um, the overall evidence that we are here as a result of the will of a supernatural creator God, a, a supreme superintelligence power that was able to create this universe and create life as we know it. And of course, one of the challenges is if we have um, an amazing being who is outside our space-time system, in other words, he's not material, he's, um, the, this uh, being is outside this material existence that we know as the universe, uh, because he's the creator of this, he's outside time because he created time. The whole, you know, the whole concept of time, matter, energy, um, the the different force fields that we have, electric, magnetic, and so forth, and the nuclear force fields. All these concepts he created. But he also created life, the amazing biochemistry that. Um, we are now discovering within living systems, whether they be algae, bacteria, plants, you know, fish, mammals, insects, um, vertebrates, also vertebrates, all sorts of uh, all the different types of life. We find amazing biochemistry, amazing biochemistry that is extremely complex. It's completely com- It's extremely complex in terms of not only the chemical reactions that are taking place that involve very complex molecules, but the complex reactions that synthesize and produce these complex molecules that enable life to function. And um, it's absolutely amazing. And to me, it seems overwhelming that that amazing being creator could communicate with us. I mean, if he created us, created particularly humans with a mind, and we can see uh, the human mind can understand logic, mathematics, um, and, uh, you know, do uh, synthesize uh, the information around it and put together theories, and so we have the development of scientific theories. You know, animals and these sort of things can't 
uh, do that. They're programmed uh, largely in their responses that they do, whether it's looking for food, mating, uh, self-preservation, all these things. They're sort of uh, pre-programmed in. And we see this, you know, right from the insect world on, even down, you know, probably in the microbial level to uh, an extent there. So it's programmed information. Whereas we, as humans, have... Uh, definitely a concept of, of will and we can process information and we can make much more complex choices about things. And so it seems very logical that that being could communicate with us. And that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we were made in God's image, that God wanted to have a, a relationship with us, this amazing supreme being. And if that was the case, then... He, as I've been saying, he could reveal himself to us. And I think, again, when we look at history, when we look at the structure of the Bible, there's overwhelming evidence that that's, uh, that the Bible was inspired by this being, that this being spoke to people either physically, audibly, um, through their minds, and they preserved this experience. They wrote it down. And over the years, it was collected. And we know that, you know, in the Bible, there's, um, I think from memory, there's 44 different authors in the Bible um, that contributed uh, to this. And that's all in harmony. It, it fits together. And also, of course, when we look at it from history, the parts of the Bible that we can definitely check independently by history with other external historical records, they all line up. But the Bible, of course, goes back to the creation of the world and goes back to evolution. Uh, well, the claim of evolution is, is a scientific theory to try and explain us, but we have so much evidence now that evolution, some sort of random blind mechanical process can't explain the complexity of living things. And one of the things that evolution is really struggling to explain is the origin of language. It's a huge problem for evolution theory. Matter of fact, I was looking at this fairly recently and I think I noted there were over a dozen, um, and maybe it was quite a bit more, but it was at least a dozen Different theories uh, were listed on Wikipedia as trying to explain the origin of language in evolutionary terms. But it's very clear that God gave us language. Now, one of the other fascinating things is there's um, the story in, um, in Genesis of the Tower of Babel and how God then confused the language. You've always spoke one language, but God confused the languages. Um, again, and part of this was, uh, you can see, was to counter some sort of worldwide system and dictatorship uh, by dividing it all up. Um, and of course, there's a massive move today against this in terms of globalisation. But, you know, the human voice, again, is powerful evidence of creation. Um, the systems are so complex, it's impossible uh, to have evolved. So if we just look at the human voice, it consists of sound made that we make, and uh, it includes our talking, singing, laughing, crying, and, of course, screaming and shouting and humming and yelling. And so... Um, we produce all these different types 
of uh, sounds. And, um, of course, we could produce other sounds like clicks and whistles. Um, and, and, but also we can change the, the level of sound. Now, of course, the mechanism for generating human voice is essentially the result of three different parts, and they have to work together. We've got the lungs, uh, which sort of pump and produce the airflow um, and air pressure to actually vibrate our vocal cords. And then there's the uh, vocal folds uh, within the larynx or the voice box, and um, these vocal uh, folds... The, what we call the vocal vocal cords commonly, um, then vibrate and use the airflow from the lungs to create these audible pulses. Um, and so the muscles of the larynx have to adjust the length and tension of those vocal folds. And that uh, fine-tunes the pitch and the tone. Now the other, the third main part, of course, is what we call the articulators, and these are the other parts of the vocal tract that are actually above the uh, larynx or the voice box. So that's the tongue, the palate, the cheek, the lips, etc. And what these do is they articulate and filter the sound emanating from the voice box. And um, they can also interact with the airflow and, and affect the airflow, of course, with the shape of our mouth and, and uh, lips and so forth. And so we can strengthen and weaken uh, the sound now. It's amazing as I'm doing this, so I'm, I'm, as I'm talking now, I'm actually doing this. So all these muscles are moving, and the huge number of muscles here that are moving, and I'm, but I'm producing this speech. Uh, but I'm not thinking about moving any particular muscle. I'm, I'm just, you know, talking. Um, so we do it, you know, subconsciously. But what we don't realise, of course, is that there's all these muscles that control all these different things all these different com- components in the lungs, in the vocal cords, in, and all the, and the articulators. And uh, this uh, produces this amazing complex speech that we have. And, of course, when we become deaf and lose the ability to hear speech, it's really isolating. And also people who are born with um, a speech impediment or the in, uh, inability to um, uh, to speak properly, uh, the people who are dumb. Um, it, it's very difficult, it's very frustrating for, for them to uh, communicate. Um, one of uh, our uh, close friends was had a little had a daughter who was born dumb and it was um, quite a struggle for her to um, uh, and, and and deaf as well uh, to learn to to speak um, or maybe she was just born deaf and had to learn to speak it was very very tricky but it's it's amazing what the human voice uh, can do so we we can produce a highly intricate array of sound and um, our voice can be modulated. We can change it to suggest, you know, different emotions such as anger and surprise, fear or sadness and happiness. And also, though, as we're listening to someone, we can often get a bit of an idea of how old they are, uh, whether they're male or female, 
and, and so forth. So we can gauge a little bit of information often uh, about the person just from their, their speech. Um, and, uh, of course, people who are gifted with singing uh, can actually create music. And, of course, um, adult men and, and women differ, have actually um, a different size vocal cords and uh, they have different size voice boxes. And so the, as a result of this, the male voice are usually lower pitched um, and have much uh, larger uh, vocal folds. It's interesting that these um, vocal cords, uh, where they're attached to the uh, back, um, right at the, um, the back of the larynx nearest the spinal cord, and um, and to the front, um, um, the, they're attached to the side on the chin. They actually have now no outer edge as they bend into the side of the, the breathing tube. And uh, it's interesting, they have, again, when we start drilling down into the intricacies of these things, we find that they've got uh, a three-layer construction. They've got um, a, a ligament. Um, and then they've got the, the particular muscle that uh, can shorten or bulge the folds. And um, they also then have on the sides uh, what they call a vestibular fold or a false vocal cord, uh, which has a small sac between its uh, two folds. And um, the differences in these vocal fold sizes means that men and women generally have differently pitched voices. And also there are other genetic factors that cause variances between um, within men and women's own singing voices, for example. So, for example, in men you've got your, your bass, bass baritone, baritone, um, your uh, baritena, tenor and countertenor. Um, and, of course, women, you've got uh, contralto, alto, meso, soprano and soprano. Um, so, again, we've got this um, huge range of um, variation. And, of course, these variations result in, you know, the, um, the different accents. Um, but it's amazing, too, as I you know, watch my grandchildren growing up, uh, you can see that um, children, um, it's amazing how quickly um, they can suddenly learn to speak. They get to an age, you know, around 12 months and then suddenly they're speaking. One of the fascinating things uh, that I think about the, the human voice is the, the ability to, to sing uh, harmoniously and, and produce musical sound. Um, and we, we know in, in the world there have been some amazing singers that can produce an amazing array of sounds and so, and so beautifully and consistently. And one of the things that um, you know, researchers discovered is that the um, analysis of recorded speech samples have found peaks in acoustic energy that essentially mirror the distances between the notes that we use in the 12 
tone musical scale that has been adapted in Western music. And so it's it's quite fascinating then. We know there's a lot of mathematics uh, associated with uh, the music scale. It's uh, quite fascinating that our, our speech is... Uh, and the music scale actually is a, is a mathematical scale that mirrors this mathematical uh, separated pinks that that our human voice uh, can produce. You know, there's even if we just look at the the human larynx or, or voice voice box, there's just so much to its its con, construction and uh, and the shape of it. And all these different folds uh, the, and the vocal cords, the different muscles that are playing a role in adjusting these uh, folds and the shape that they produce and how, again, our brain, once we've learned to speak, can uh, automatically change the shape of all these muscles that are in our face um, and associate these with... Um, the uh, to produce the sound uh, that we want. When we uh, think about um, how how we how we speak, it's largely controlled by our muscles, the muscles in the in the larynx, and of course they're divided into intrinsic and extrinsic muscles. And it's the intrinsic muscles are divided into respiratory and phonatory. Uh, muscles, that is the muscles that are associated with speech, the latter ones. So the respiratory muscles move the vocal cords apart and serve breathing, while the uh, phonatory uh, muscles move the vocal cords together and serve in the production of voice. Um, and um, it's interesting, the uh, phonatory muscles are divided into abductors um, and tensors, and so we've got quite a number of muscles. So you've got the um, the cricothyroid muscles, which lengthen and tensile the vocal cords. You've got the posterior cricocartenoid uh, muscles that abduct and externally rotate the cartilages um, and, and, again, abduct the vocal cords. Then you've got the, the lateral muscles there, the transverse muscles. Then you've got the oblique. Um, uh, attenoid muscles. Um, so there's a whole range of muscles there that all have to be, um, again, work in, in harmony for us to uh, produce the uh, sound. So um, it's, it's amazing. And then, of course, we've got the nerve supply that supplies the nerve to these uh, muscles. There's all these uh, different nerves. We've got the, again, the vagus nerve, of course, uh, controls swallowing. Then we've got the laryngeal nerves and the cricothyroid muscle, um, which um, a part of that controls the cricothyroid muscle. So again, when we um, look at these muscles and the role they play, for example, um, if we get injury to one of the laryngeal nerves, it produces hoarseness in our voice, um, and um, it can lead to you know longer-term damage to our voice as well. So again, we've got um, these are amazing effects that all have to be um, 
coordinate to produce the sound. So um, again, as the um, manipulation of the larynx is used to generate a source of sound with a particular fundamental frequency of pitch, this source of sound is altered as it travels through the vocal tract. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, we have the position of the tongue, lips and mouth and pharynx uh, all uh, sort of play a role in generating all different types of uh, sound. And one of the things that impresses me is that all this whole system uh, is encoded for in the genetic code of our DNA. All the codes to produce all those different muscles to produce the actual structures of the cavity of our larynx, our lungs, the, the different uh, passages and so forth, the muscles that can control our lips and tongue and so forth. There's all those nerves that control those muscles. There's all the connections in the brain. That's all programmed in our code. It all works together and we're able to produce speech. Now, evolutionists want us to believe that this whole process just arose by blind, random, chance, chemical mutations, um, as there were mutations occurring in the DNA chain being damaged or uh, you know, so some sort of chemical mutation. And we see it's absolutely impossible to produce this amazing, coordinated um, arrangement of different muscles and cavity shapes that enable us and uh, to produce speech, you know, as well as the, the nerves, the blood supply to the muscles. All these components are there encoded for in the DNA in a language that is just involves, as I mentioned many times, just four basic uh, chemical bases that we abbreviate A, C, T and G. And so to me, this is just powerful evidence for this amazing supernatural creator who designed us and designed us to communicate not only with each other, but also with him through prayer. We can speak, we can think a prayer, but we can also speak a prayer. When God came as Jesus Christ, people were able to speak to him. And he spoke to people too. And of course we have the, the miracle of the resurrection that was recorded in, in history. And we know that the life of Christ changed the world. It changed our calendar. It changed our dating system. And of course many people want to eliminate that and change that. But it doesn't change the historical fact that this person miraculously came, God came as a person to live amongst us, to show us, and was miraculously resurrected um, and then appeared to many after that and appeared um, as he was taken to heaven. And, of course, he tells us that in the same way, after death, there will be an end to this world and we too that choose to believe in him also will be taken to be with him and live with him forever. This is a wonderful message of hope that the Bible gives us, and we have this amazing evidence from science that supports the existence of this supernatural being and the fact that he can preserve miraculously um, 
through the influencing the minds of men, the history of this world that's been recorded in the Bible. You've been listening to Faith and Science. And remember, if you want to re-listen to this program or earlier programs, just um, Google uh, 3abnaustralia.org.au and click on the radio and listen button. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 